Hello, and welcome back to Watching the West Wing After Taking the Red Pill. My name is Carlin Borisenko. I am your host. I was a Democrat for 20 years up until uh, early 2020 when I took the red pill, which basically means you wake up to the world as it actually is rather than the fantasy that the media tries to sell you. I left the Democratic Party. I became an independent. I became a Republican for about 15 minutes. I then left them because they're just as screwed up as the Democrats and if not even more so. And I am currently a libertarian and I spend a lot of my time on the internet calling out the nonsense on both sides. Watching the West Wing after taking a red, the red pill is a show where I am revisiting my favorite show of all time, the West Wing. At least it was my favorite show before 2020 when I took the red pill and I haven't watched any of it since except for the first episode which you may have heard about in uh, the previous episode. And basically, this is a podcast where I'm going to be rewatching every episode to give you my thoughts and feelings about the episode as I see it now, which might be a little bit different than the show I fell in love with back in the day. But I really hope not, because I do think it's a wonderful show. And I really hope that taking the red pill hasn't spoiled it for me. But I suppose we're going to find out. Now, if you're listening to this, you might be watching on YouTube. You might be listening on any of the podcasting platforms. I'm currently, as we speak, working on getting the podcast listed in audio-only format on Apple, Spotify, all of the major podcasting platforms, and we're going to get that taken care of. But I do want to make a note that in the public release of these episodes, you are going to be seeing an edited version where you're really seeing me uh, release clips. Of, well, not really clips. They're not clips, but I'm editing the show uh, to the parts where I have basically the most to say about the show. But I do want to let you know that if you do want to watch the full unedited episode that will be available in my locals community exclusively for my local supporters and you can find that at kb.locals.com slash support. And you, in order to get access to the full unedited episodes, what you need to do is head over and become a supporter in my community. This community helps keep my business running. It help, keeps me in business. It makes sure I have the time to spend hours watching and editing podcasts just like this. And so as an extra perk for my local supporters, I do make the unedited episodes available. You can sign up as a supporter for five bucks a month. You can also sign up for 50 bucks for the year, which will give you a couple months for free. You can make a one-time gift. All of those are options for you. And when you do that, you will not only get access to the unedited versions of the podcast, but you will also get a whole bunch of other exclusive perks, including two weekly Zoom calls with me and a whole bunch more. Now, before we dig in, though, I thought it might be a nice little surprise or not surprise, but maybe just a nice little thing to provide some context for our current times. And I thought maybe I would show you kind of a crazy political news story that's going on in present day and as a nice little compare contrast to the rather idyllic world of the West Wing from uh, about 20 years ago or, or whatnot. And what I wanted to show you today is a tweet from the current president of the United States, Joe Biden. I'm recording this episode on July 3rd, uh, 2022. So happy 4th of July, everyone. God bless America. But I'm not entirely sure that our dementia-ridden president, and yes, I do believe he has dementia. I'm sorry if I dispersed your bubble. I do believe that's true. I'm not entirely sure that our dementia-ridden president understands a couple basic things about 
the economy and and you know what how this country was built and functions and this is a tweet that uh for the audio only listeners this is a tweet that joe biden sent just uh yesterday i believe my message to the companies running gas stations and setting prices at the pump is simple this is a time of war and global peril bring down the price you are charging at the pump to reflect the cost you're paying for the product and do it now and we're seeing a response from Chinese state media saying, now the U.S. president finally realized that capitalism is all about exploitation. He didn't believe this before. I do wonder what Josiah Bartlett would do in a reality with Twitter. I'm not sure. Well, I don't think that Twitter existed when the West Wing was on. And, you know, I think that there were some there were there were these things called blogs on the Internet when the West Wing was on. But I think that that was basically as as social media as they got. Can you imagine a land in which Josiah Bartlett tweets demanding that that uh that gas stations reduce the prices that they're charging and you literally get a response from chinese state media saying oh good the american president no longer believes in capitalism <laughs> you know it's funny i did actually talk to my husband about this and my husband um those of you who don't know my husband is an immigrant um so i know all about navigating the immigration process i had to do it for four years but the reason i, I say this is he actually his first job after he was allowed to work again um, was managing a gas station near our house. And so I told him about this tweet and he said, Carlin, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Gas stations don't make money on gas. They make a couple of cents on the gas. The only thing they make money on is when people fill up their car and they go into the store to buy overpriced food and drink because convenience uh, stores literally are usually charge uh, 30% more than your average supermarket. And that's where convenience stores make their money. It's not on the gas. It's on the things they're selling in the store. The gas is just a way to get people to come in to pay the overcharged prices in the store. And it's like my husband, who is a former gas station manager, understands more about capitalism than our current U.S. president. What a time to be alive. Well, today we are going to be watching the second episode of The West Wing. It is called post hoc ergo proctor hoc i'm actually not sure i remember much about this episode at all so this will be um as much of a a flashback or a surprise for me as i suppose it is for you but let's pull it up on the screen although that's not what i wanted to share there we go okay there we go right there and as soon as my internet cooperates we'll pull this up and we will uh get this party started folks all right enjoy Everything all right? No, everything is not all right. I left a job at a top-tier marketing firm where I had stock options. Come down here and get this guy elected president. When he went to breakfast this morning, he made a deal to bottle of 443 until after the midterm elections, avoiding the national exposure that was our only hope of making any kind of a challenge. Senator, we've got a caucus. Hang on. Floyd. Listen to me. I was going Listen to... Listen to me. It wasn't going to happen. Maybe somewhere down the road but this year it wasn't going to happen i had two years to make it happen i was going to take them on it beat me before i got my boxes unpacked you bounce back you got spunk kill you with my man, shoes man, man, man. it wasn't going to happen 
know what the worst part about this is? Well, I think you dinged up your suspension pretty good. No, Lloyd. It's the party they're having right now in the West Wing at my expense. Having a party in the West Wing? I've worked with these people for two and a half years. They like to win and then they like to gloat. I'm sure you're wrong. I'm sure I'm not. There are very serious men and women at the White House. A blow was struck for party unity this morning. There's no cause to. Okay, I, I, I got to stop there. So what we're, what we're seeing is Mandy has just discovered that the senator that she came to Washington, D.C. for has now thrown her under the bus by deciding that he doesn't want to run for president after all and basically putting her out of a job. And she's saying, oh, they're going to be gloating in the West Wing, which they are. And we're going to see that in a second. I, the episode is coming back to me now. Um, and he's saying, no, no, no. These are serious people. They would never do that. Let me tell you what. They absolutely would do that. There is, and, 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 and there is no reality that exists that a sitting senator would not understand that. There is no reality that exists in which a sitting senator would not understand the amount of celebration and gloating that would be about to take place. I have spent the last two years around people like this, and they know exactly what they're doing. Politics is nothing more than a game to these people. And, and most of them, uh, let's, I'm not going to say that none of them have principles. I do believe that some of them do, but many of them, and especially the seasoned people that have been in D.C. for a while, the majority of them, I believe, are not doing it because they have any sort of higher value. They're not doing it to make the world a better place. They are doing it for status and for glory, and they are having all sorts of coke-ridden benders and orgies and all these things. All of that is true. I'm not saying everyone participates in it, but a lot of them do, and it is all for show. And so the notion that a sitting senator who has, you know, maybe not enough status to run for president yet as of this episode... But it was certainly working his way up. The, fa the fact that they are actually purporting that a sitting center would be like, no, no, no. These people are not going to be gloating. That is nonsense. And anyone who works in, has worked in Washington, D.C. knows that that's nonsense. And Aaron Sorkin knows that that's nonsense. And, you know, back when I fell in love with this show, I really wanted to believe that idyllic fantasy. I did. And again, there are good people. There really are. And, you know, some of them, you know, my impression is like they're 50 50. It's like a work hard, play hard sort of thing where they do have core values and they do have things that they're fighting it with for that they like believe in. But then a lot of them, I mean, but but then they, you know, even those people who maybe 50 50 have those core values, they're also celebrating and gloating when they win and vanquishing their enemies, too. So, no, there are very few pure souls in Washington, D.C. and a sitting senator in a private conversation with his kind of girlfriend would absolutely understand that. But uh, let's watch the gloating that is about to take place. Victory is mine. Victory is mine. Great day in the morning, people. Victory is mine. Morning, Josh. I drink from the keg of glory, Donna. Bring me the finest muffins and bagels in all the land. All right. I would be lying if I said that I haven't on probably several dozen occasions stolen that exact line from Josh Lyman. Drinking from the keg of glory, bring me the finest muffins and bagels in all the land. I've definitely done that at least two dozen times. I think it's a great line. Um, and I think it shows exactly who Josh is. He's playing this game. He likes the game. And I think that that is true of most of the people that I've encountered in politics. I also think it's true of people that I have encountered in like the influencer space where it is a game. 
And this is, oh, I'm, I talked about the politicians already. So let's talk about some of the political influencers. Most of them are purely in it for the game. Like people that, that you see on the news on both sides, people that you see with the blue checks on Twitter, people that you see with all of the uh, popular shows, very few of them, not, not all, not all. I do believe there are absolutely good ones, but I think the really good ones and the honest ones and the authentic ones are few and far between. I would look at someone like a Glenn Beck and listen, when I was a Democrat, I hated Glenn Beck. I got, you know, like one of the few really distinct memories I have with um, my father growing up is that my father hated Glenn Beck. And so like Bosmo, uh, by osmosis, like I hated Glenn Beck, too. I thought Glenn Beck was insane. I've had the pleasure of now being on Glenn Beck's show multiple times, having, you know, a few uh, like some private email exchanges with him and seeing just like actually being able to see with a fresh set of eyes the work that Glenn Beck has done. Glenn Beck is one of the authentic ones. Glenn Beck is a very good man. He helps people. He is there for people. Glenn Beck was one of the few like big people that when the Afghanistan debacle happened uh, about a year, when, when was when was that even like a year ago now, a little over a year ago um, with the Joe Biden pulling our troops out of Afghanistan, which was necessary, but was a bungled bungle like an impeachment worthy endeavor with how badly they screwed that up glenn beck was investing his own money in sending planes to get people out of there glenn beck consistently is there for people who need it and he is a deeply principled person and to be honest before i red pilled and before i had direct interaction with him i really would not have thought that at all but he's an example of someone that i would say he is a good one now you might disagree with glenn beck on a lot of things and that's perfectly valid. I absolutely disagree with him on a lot of things. Um, but I do think that he is a deeply principled person and probably one of the very few deeply principled people that I actually um, have encountered in in this little influencer space. But most of them are most of the people that are doing content and doing this sort of thing. They're exactly like Josh Lyman. They're like, I'm going to win and I'm going to gloat and ha 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 ha. And then they sulk when they lose. And it's just like, there are, and, and this is a part of one of the, the most depressing parts about red pilling and being on the journey that I've been on because it really is. It's like I, I had this idyllic fantasy, like it's been portray portrayed in the West Wing of these like serious people, except for Josh Lyman, of course. And um, it's just not true. It's just for most people that is just not the case. And um, yeah, it's it's kind of depressing to come to that understanding um now and looking back at um you know this content then but let's keep going it's gonna be an unbearable day 27 lawyers in the room anybody know post hoc ergo proctor hoc josh uh uh post after after hoc ergo therefore after hoc therefore something else hoc Thank you. Next. Well, if I got more credit on the 443 thing. Leo. After it therefore because of it. After it therefore because of it. It means one thing follows the other, therefore it was caused by the other. But it's not always true. In fact, it's hardly ever true. We did not lose Texas because of the hat joke. Do you know when we lost Texas? When you learned to speak Latin? Go figure. All right. So there is the 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 title of the show, Post Hoc Ergo Proctor Hawk, after therefore because of. And you know, I think that there's a lot of truth to what's going on in this scene in terms of like people in this world they obsess over these like but i but okay here's the thing i think this was more true then here i'm 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 formulating my thoughts as i'm as i'm pausing and trying to work this out i think that this was more true when the west wing was filmed 20 years ago wow actually 
now that I'm thinking about it, like, wasn't the West Wing filmed like around the time that I became a Democrat? Wow. Okay. So there's a nice little degree of symmetry there. Um, and the the reason I say it was more relevant then where like, it, like it is true that people in politics and people doing commentary and people doing journalism, all that, they focus on these minute little details and they do absolutely make, um, make uh like the after therefore because of logical fallacy where they say this happened because of this well no it happened after it but it didn't necessarily happen because of it but i think that this has probably changed an awful lot just because with social media with the echo chambers that exist with just the rapid rate of news that we exist in now which was much faster than what they were dealing with then i suspect that the little baubles like a joke that offends the Ryder Cup team to the point where they don't want to come to the White House to have a photo with the president. I suspect that that being based on like a simple quip or like an off the cuff remark wouldn't necessarily happen today. Because as soon as that joke is said, there are like 86 other things that are far more problematic than what that joke was. And in fact, most of the time they wouldn't even see it anyway. Um, So I think that that's definitely a shift that we've seen since these were filmed in that you know, back then it was like if a, if a joke was made that was quoted everywhere and then the focus was on that joke simply because there wasn't the speed with which um, with which the news was coming out all day, every day on social media, on video with people with their cell phone cameras posting stuff on Twitter that that a politician said at a closed door lunch or things like that. It, it was just such a very, very different time with very different um, worries. But do I think that the Ryder Cup team today would not take a picture with the president because of a joke? Well, I think it all depends on the politics. I think that um, I think that tr- if Trump had made a stupid joke about golf, then, yeah, the Ryder Cup team would probably say, you know, F you, we're not coming to the White House. But if Joe Biden made a stupid joke about golf, I think it would be washed over and thrown under the rug because the media, the mainstream media, like your New York Times, your Washington Post, your NBCs, CNNs, MSNBCs, like all of that stuff, they are all essentially a propaganda arm of the Democratic Party. And, you know, for those of you who say, oh, Carlin, you're just, you know, biased. Well, I, I kind of I don't think that Fox News and Newsmax and OAN are any better. I don't watch those either. Those are a propaganda arm of the establishment Republican Party, not of the actual base, but of the establishment Republican Party. Um, and so it's just like, I don't even think a joke would register today because the media wouldn't even report on it. Maybe it would make the rounds on Twitter. But um, but who really cares? And it, it's certainly not something that would probably rise to the level of like a serious White House conversation with the president about like you made a stupid joke about golf and now there are political consequences to you making a stupid joke about golf. On the same point, it's also like the whole idea that a Democrat lost Texas because of a joke that he made about cowboy hats. That's stupid. That wouldn't happen. That is that is the most dumb thing I've ever heard. In fact, listen, I think that Texas has a very real chance of turning purple. I I think it would be um, actually with the exodus of people leaving California and moving to Texas, the voting demographics of Texas are going to change. Um, And I would actually be highly amused if Beto uh, Beto O'Rourke ended up getting elected governor of Texas. I don't think he will. I'm not making a prediction. I just think it would be really, really, really amusing because I do think that the Republicans still seem to think that they have Texas thoroughly locked down 
and um and they do to some extent um it is a it is a red state but i mean the demographics are changing all the time and I think that it's going to be closer than they think with Beto running for governor of Texas. And I just think it would be hilarious if he actually got elected. Um, I'm not a Beto fan. I'm not saying that. I just think, you know, I view politics as more entertainment value at this point than actual like political consequence because I think both parties suck. And so if I think they both suck, um, then I'm just going to be amused by it. And Beto O'Rourke getting elected governor of Texas of Texas would amuse the hell out of me what else let's talk ergo propter hawk but that used to have them rolling in the aisles at the whip and poop dinners playing the teeth of it you think be funny you're at your best with a pie in your family i've been told that in fact i'd hold back keep it in your back pocket Janet. you don't like the rhythm of the q a use the rider cup just fly right in the teeth of it. yeah folks please take your seats please take your seats Good morning. Well, we're looking at uh, the press room right now um, with CJ about to hold a press conference. And I got to say, like the press room that they got post pilot episode is like light years better than the one they had in the pilot. Like the one they had in the pilot, it was like this little dinky podium that barely even came up to CJ's waist. And like they were basically like shoved into a broom closet. So obviously they've invested in a set designer since they did that pilot and i think it's definitely um better for it i think cj generally is one of the most interesting characters in the show what i like about cj is that um you know i i don't think that she she's like a, she never i think that she never thought much of like what she what was capable of doing and to kind of watch her arc over the seven seasons on the show like you can always tell there's always like that twinge of self-doubt but then she goes out there and she does it anyway and it's like you know the people that i've been around in this space it's like a lot of them are okay spoiler alert many influencers and many politicians are dumb they are not smart they are dumb 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 people it is like it is like the dunning cougar effect in action in that they think a lot of themselves but then when you actually like meet them and talk to them in person you're like ooh, you are like not that smart now i'm not saying everyone i think that a lot of people especially in like the the um like influencer space they do actually a lot of them actually have to read up on a lot of things and a lot of them um i do think bring really intelligent takes to the situations i'm not saying that of all of them but a lot of them they it's dunning cougar in action because they think they're the experts in something but they're really not. And the reason they think they're the expert is because they don't know how much they don't know. Whereas people who are truly experts do tend to be a little bit more humble, I think, like CJ, because they understand what is required to attain that level of knowledge. And so they're constantly pushing themselves to read the next book, read all the, uh, re read all the articles on the internet, look at different angles. And so they understand how much they don't know and they work so hard to probably be able to overcome that sense that, you know, I'm not good enough to do this. And I think that that's what makes a, a CJ like a successful character on this show is that she understands how hard this is. And it is really difficult. And listen, like, Again, this was 20 years ago, so she's dealing with a much different cadence of information then than we are today. In order to keep up with all of the news that is going on every single day, I don't know how people like, I'll go back to Glenn Beck. I don't know. I don't know how Glenn Beck does it. I really don't. 
he must spend hours and hours and hours and hours and hours every day just reading just reading books, just reading articles, reading things his staff gives him. And that's in addition to doing his three-hour radio show and doing like everything that's required for that and doing everything else he does. It is an insane amount of time. In order to be, I think, truly successful and truly great in this space, you need to become obsessed with it to the point where you can push through any degree of burnout that you have. And um, I think some people do that very well, and I think some people don't. Um, and I think that CJ is just like a, a good example of like a good character. And we have to acknowledge she is a fictional character, but a good character that has um, done that well. We've got a birthday today, right? Suzanne? Bobby. It's Bobby's birthday. Yes, it is. CJ? Uh, a short while ago, the vice president commented on the White House position on the A3C3 saying, and I'm quoting from notes, this is a time when the president needs our support. Can you clarify the language? No, I can't, Mike. I haven't spoken with the vice president today. The language seems strained, doesn't it? Strange? Strained. This is a time when the president needs our support. Oh, God. Isn't this so different than what we see in White House briefings today and certainly during the Trump administration? Like, if you have, if you never watched Kayleigh McEnany um, do a press briefing when she was still press secretary under Trump, Kayleigh McEnany was like a machine. That woman is extraordinarily smart and she had to deal like right now what we're seeing on the West Wing is like a really cordial relationship that CJ has with the press. Because, of course, like, you know, and and I don't know, like there, of course, were adversarial publications in the press room. But I think we're going to see in the West Wing that it wasn't as ad even with the publications that hated the, the administration. They weren't as adversarial to CJ on this show as we kind of see now. Like Kelly McEnany, when she was press secretary, would go into that room with a giant binder of information every single day. And she, a lot of times, would play them like a fiddle because she knew that most of the people in the room hated her. They hated her. The press hated Trump. They lied about him all the time. They twisted everything he did. And sometimes Kelly McInerney would just like, she would be able to get one over on them where she would anticipate what gotcha questions they were going to ask. And she had this big binder full of information where she was already ready for all of the gotcha questions that would come. It was like go watching someone go into combat every single day. And even now, um, we've got, uh, Corinne Jean-Pierre in the, uh, in the press secretary role and her biggest, um, which, by the way, like, it's it's kind of sad, isn't it? It's like the biggest uh, reason that Corinne Jean-Pierre got that role is because she's a black lesbian. That is the current state of the Biden White House. And right now we're looking at like uh, a black reporter on the screen. And it's like, if he only got that job because he was black, like, I don't think that that's. I don't think that that's good. I would want him to get that job because of his competence. And I would want the press secretary to get the job because of the confidence, the competence of them, too. And it's like the very first thing that they touted about her when she took the role was she is the first black lesbian to have this role. And it's like, dude, really? And she has screwed up quite a bit. They, The press has caught her several times because even now, and even though I do believe the majority of the media are absolutely a propaganda arm of the DNC, Corinne Jean-Pierre has sucked so badly as press secretary that even the uber progressive liberal media has at times become pissed at her and has had that adversarial relationship. So, <coughs> excuse me, I guess my point is that we don't see the type of, of um, combative relationship 
with the press that exists now in the White House press room today that we don't see that depicted on the West Wing. And I, you know, it's obviously more dramatic today. But man, is it so much nicer to watch just like a gentle back and forth where they're just asking reasonable questions and CJ's trying to give them a reasonable answer and they're playing and they're bantering. We just don't see that kind of banter anymore on a regular basis. It sounds pretty straightforward. I'll tell you what, though, if you consult the morning releases, you'll see that in the world of sports, the White House just got dissed by 12 guys named Flippy. <laughs> like, what a great way to play it. What a great way to play it. Yeah. He's got questions. Uh, last week, I was out for a late drink, and I met this woman named Lori, and Lori and I hit it off, and we spent the evening together back at her place, and the next day, I discovered she was call girl. Sam? Yeah? Do you want to maybe close the door? <laughs> I love this. Again, we saw this in the first episode where Sam accidentally sleeps with a hooker. And of course, this is going to come back to bite him. But again, it's just a wonderful juxtaposition with the current reality that we're in, in that the last president was literally sued by porn stars who he slept with when his wife was pregnant. And that was fine. And Josh is about to freak out about the fact that Sam accidentally slept with a call girl, which I don't even think. What is Sam? He's like the assistant communications director at the White House. He's like a speechwriter. Like, do we exist in a time today where a speechwriter for the president asked the call girl exchange of payment? It just being like it just happened to be a coincidence. Would that even register on the national radar today? I don't think it would. Like, that's not the the bar for having a gutcha moment has just increased so dramatically. And it's like, what is the bar for a gutcha moment going to be 10 years from now? I'm not approved by any means, but like, if we just keep this this up, like how, how, how far will White House employees have to go in the future in order to have that same level of like gutcha moment? You slept with a call girl? Oh no, I, oh yes, yes I did. I was saying that had we properly briefed your office Bill, it was on $6 eight, an acre candy set. Got it. Thanks, sir. CJ, it was nice of you to come find me, but I've been kept in the loop on ACQ. The quote the room is running with is this is a time when the president needs our support. Yes. Well, you can see how that might be. CJ. Yes, sir. I've got my own press secretary. Yes, sir. Sir. I like how they're pretending here that the vice president has any responsibility whatsoever in that we can pretty much see in this current administration and the previous administration that like that's just not true. So what we've just seen is that, you know, the vice president is doing all this press stuff and he's like making statements out of the press and he's he's off to New York. He's got this huge team of people around him. And yeah, okay, those things are true. But listen. They, so Benjamin Franklin, blah, 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 Benjamin Franklin called the vice president his superfluous excellency. And that is absolutely the role that they play. Like Kamala Harris in the Biden administration. Um, and I actually think it's hilarious that they the White House has made a point of calling it the Biden Harris. Well, they did it one time. When Joe Biden first got elected, they made it a point of calling it the Biden Harris administration. Are they still doing that? I don't know that they are, actually. I don't know that they are. I don't think I've heard that lately. I could be wrong. Let me know in the comments if you um, if you care to. But, you know, Kamala Harris plays a PR role at best. She is the black woman that stands behind the white man that's president to emphasize how inclusive they are because he picked her to be the vice president just because she's a black woman. And again, how sad is that? How sad is the only reason that 
she got put in this totally and completely ceremonial role in which she has no official responsibilities whatsoever. The only reason she got put in that role is because of her race and her gender. And there have been all sorts of rumors coming out of the White House about how there, the, Kamala's team does not get along with Biden's team at all. And, and we're kind of actually even seeing this play out on the West Wing, right? Like CJ is on the president's team. The vice president's team has has their own opinions. They probably feel a little um, a little chuffed that they are not on the president's team and they're on the vice president's team. But there's like a little adversarial relationship there that currently plays out in the White House right now. Kamala's team does not like Biden's team and vice versa. And there have been all sorts of rumors about that. So um, but but to, to pretend that John Hoynes has any sort of like official role other than ceremonial is just ridiculous vice presidents do not have any sort of official role. Their role is to be the tie-breaking vote in the Senate and to sit their butt in their office, which isn't even in the White House. It's in the, um, it's in, oh gosh, that building that looks very French that's right next to the White House. I can't remember the name of it, but it's like right next to it. But like the vice presidents don't even have an official office in the White House. Their role is ceremonial. They're supposed to sit there and wait just in case like the president dies and they need to ascend to the role. And if they need to break a tie breaking vote in the Senate and then it's just like photo ops and everything other than that. And so, you know, to pretend that John Hoynes is like the linchpin of anything was a little bit of a fantasy for this. But I do like that um, that they are showing kind of like an adversarial relationship between the vice president's staff and the president's staff, because that's currently playing out in reality as well. All right. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Talking to a former governor. I was commander in chief of the New Hampshire National Guard. You guys got into a lot of tough scrapes, did you? Didn't have to. We just stand on the border and stir you down. Then we'd all go for pancakes. Like you had a lot of close infantry combat training in free men. Fun fact, in New Hampshire, there is a, a establishment up in the White Mountains called Polly's Pancake Parlor that has the absolute best pancakes that you will ever have in your life. It is legendary. It's 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 one of those things that's like there it's like in this little like cabin of a building. It doesn't have ins insulation. It doesn't even operate in the winter because it gets too cold. And it's like, so it's just like this little kind of like shack of a building. People will go there and literally wait outside for hours to get a table at Polly's Pancake Parlor. Like Victor and I, Victor's my husband, we went like the first time we ever went, they were doing family style seating. So we actually had to share our table with another, like a mother and her son, just because like there was nowhere else to sit and they wanted to, to serve as many people as possible. And so you, you could eat faster by sharing your tables with people because that was what happened. We were also there another time. We went kind of like midweek. So it was a little bit quieter. There was a dude that like flew his helicopter up to the White Mountains in New Hampshire and landed it in the field next to Polly's Pancake Parlor in order just to come and have pancakes in New Hampshire. So the pancake thing is legit. Um, and that's if you ever come to New Hampshire, you've got to go to Polly's. And I, I doubt they it's so, so good. I cannot even explain. Hold still just a second. What is that? It's flu shot. I don't need a flu shot. You do need a flu shot. How do I know this isn't the start of a military coup? Sir. I want the Secret Service in here right away. In the event of a military coup, sir, what makes you think the Secret Service is going to be on your side? 
that's a thought that's going to fester. Oh, God. Can we talk about that for a second? In the event of a military coup, what makes you think that the Secret Service is going to be on your side? Listen, I was at the Capitol on January 6th, and I, you know, I think that the way it's, I didn't go in the building. I always have to, I always have to say that because I got interviewed by the FBI. The FBI has confirmed that I did not go in the building on January 6th. Um, and, you know, I, I, I don't, e- I don't even remember seeing the doors to be that honest about it. But, but, okay. So, like, my point is that I absolutely believe that January 6th was something that was started um, by, by the feds. I do. I believe there were people in like the FBI that were starting nonsense, that were riling people up. I mean, I think it's no coincidence that these large magnetic doors that usually don't open unless someone pushes a button somewhere, they just magically opened. And then the and then um like the Capitol Police just stood there. And there's videos of this. I'm not making this up. There's videos of like the Capitol Police just standing there letting people in. And I'll say again, I was there. I saw I saw all of it. I was I saw them firing tear gas. I saw there was a guy right in front of me that got beamed in the head with a tear gas canister. And I have video that I have on my that I've, I've actually posted in my locals community before I posted it on the holiday of January 6th. Um holiday quote unquote i don't want to get in trouble but like i have video of the capitol police standing around doing nothing i didn't see i and i was right up next to the building the capitol police were standing around doing nothing occasionally they would march back and forth or they would like fire tear gas into the crowd they were they did not do anything to stop it though there were even people that were begging the police to do something begging the police to like get reinforcements to stop them from breaking the windows and doing all that so i absolutely believe that you know january 6 was at least partially orchestrated by people who wanted to permanently discredit donald trump and um, basically try to undercut him ever running for office again. There was not a single like establishment uh, like institution in Washington, D.C. to include the Republican Party that wanted Donald Trump to be president. None of them did. And so and so they worked their level best every single day that he was president to make sure he regretted ever running to that for that position. And even more importantly, to make sure that every outsider knew to never do what Donald Trump did, never, ever do that. So I absolutely believe that the establishment, the feds had a role in orchestrating January 6th. I absolutely do. I mean, there were people in the crowd that were calling for people to storm the building. There's video of a guy on January 5th, and I forget his name off the top of my head, but there's multiple videos of this guy running around calling for people to go in the Capitol the next day on January 6th. That guy has never been arrested. That guy has never gone to trial. He like There are people that were just, just walked through an open door to go in the Capitol, and then they stayed between the velvet ropes when they were in the building that have experienced harsher punishments than a guy that they have on video calling for people to go in the building. And so I absolutely do believe it was like an inside job, for lack of a better term. Um, In some respects, I don't think everyone who was there was part of that, but I believe that there were absolutely people instigating that. So when Morris says, like, in the event of a military coup, what makes you think the Secret Service is going to be on your side? We kind of saw that play out on January 6th, if we're honest about it. And um, that reality should be far more terrifying to people than than the notion that Donald Trump was trying to usurp democracy. That's that's nonsense. I'm sorry. Like Trump is not Trump is Trump is Trump is not that smart. He's not. 
there Trump made so many bad decisions. Um, but I certainly do not believe what the January 6th committee hearings are saying that Trump had this elaborate seven point plan. No, he didn't. He didn't at all. He was bitter about what happened. It was partially his fault that it happened. It was partially the Republicans' fault that it happened. You know, whatever it was, what it was. Um, but I do believe that January 6th was orchestrated to make it very clear that Donald Trump should never, for, to, to, to Trump himself, like, don't ever do this to us again. Don't ever just try to drain the swamp, destroy our uh, like a, establishment crony system ever again, because we will make you pay. Morris? Yes, sir. Look at that picture again. See? The past isn't the only thing your family can be proud of. Yes, sir. Go away. Mr. President, you remember Stuart White and Ray Finley? I do indeed, Mr. White. You know, what I love about the character of Jed Bartlett is like, he's that kind of like loving, caring father that is like delivering sage life lessons, but also will give you grief at the same time. And, um, you know, I, I feel like that type of character kind of isn't accepted today in like a public world. I think that people are so severe with how they judge the actions and behaviors of other people that it, it, it's hard for many of them, not all of them, but like many people to process that someone can give you grief and make sarcastic jokes and kind of sometimes talk down to you when you're being stupid and you need someone to tell you like, that's a dumb idea. And you need to know that that's a dumb idea. And, and it's like, people are so quick to judge anyone that disagrees with them in even the slightest little way in the most harsh possible terms. I mean, like, I can't tell you how many times I've made a joke on Twitter and then I ultimately and then people will diagnose my mental health from that joke. Like, like, I mean, and like, like blue check effing influencers, too. It's like I make a sarcastic joke on Twitter and all of a sudden I have blue check influencers tweeting that I have narcissistic personality disorder. It's like, dude, you've got to lighten up. And um, and I think that that's, you know, very reflective of kind of the times we live in where everyone is so dug in and no one wants to give an inch on everything on anything. And. You know, so I look back and see Jed Bartlett's character where he's he has these beautiful kind of like loving moments with people where he's he's, um, you know, encouraging them to see the possibility of what could be. And then he's also kind of being a dick sometimes, too. And he makes sarcastic jokes that turn the writer team off from uh, going to the White House. And I, I so wish we could we could go back to a time like that where you can be both things um and you know people can see through like you know there there some of the best people like i i think that there is um here's what i actually want to say i think there's a lot of value in mirroring back to people what they give to you so if someone's a dick to you i think it's okay to kind of like mirror that behavior back to them to to illustrate to them what they're doing um and i think that you know I, I wish that people learn to be a little bit more self-reflective and stop projecting their nonsense so much out into the world um, and it's just, it, it, it's making it, I don't know. Does anyone feel like it's really just difficult to build these human connections? I don't know. I don't know. That's not, not a fully formed thought, but maybe we'll get to a fully formed thought before the end of the episode. I have a PhD. Did you know that? Yes. Some people don't know that. I do. 
I've got a bachelor's degree in art history and a master's degree in communications and a PhD in political science. Yes, I'm accomplished and brilliant. And yet look how young and cute I am. What about you know this idea that like that having degrees is is the thing that um that that makes you accomplished and brilliant and this is a theme in the West Wing where you'll hear these characters all get I have this degree from this place and this degree from this place and da, 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 da. and I say this as someone with like I have a bachelor's degree an MBA and a PhD and it's like it's so amusing to me that people still buy into this fantasy that expenses expensive pieces of paper mean anything expensive pieces of paper do not dictate your intelligence i have no regrets about the amount of uh education i've done i have no regrets about the expensive pieces of paper i have they have led me to to the place i am today they've led me to doing um you know work that i really really enjoy doing but an expensive piece of paper is not the thing that makes you smart and i think that you know we, like the west wing is a rather elitist show if we're honest about it, it is an extremely elitist show. Like the, the, the cast of characters that comes through it, they're all elitist. I really do think that a lot of them do look down on people who don't have their highfalutin ivory league uh, PhDs and all that stuff. And it's like, you know, I don't want to diminish the work that anyone puts in to get, uh, to, to get a degree because especially when you get into the higher levels, it is a lot of work. It is hard. It is a lot of time. You want to be able to feel proud of that accomplishment but it doesn't mean you're smarter than anyone else. It doesn't mean that you're more capable than anyone else. Like Mandy, again, Mandy's character in this show is awful. She is an awful, needy elitist that um, is just like a pain in the ass. And that's why she only lasted one season. And um, I, you know, I, I definitely see the same type of elitism out there today, especially in the land of politics. And it's just like, it's gross. It's like, you do not need a piece of paper to be smart. Different life experiences can make you just as smart. And quite frankly, a lot of times even more smart or at least have much more common sense than a person with a, an expensive PhD. Gil McGregor. And who would think that someone who had accomplished as much as I have would be this young or this cute? Did you talk to Hoynes today? Yeah, I talked to him for a minute this morning. About A3C3? Yeah. I mean about the quote. Yeah. And? Miscommunication, he's on board. Yeah? Yeah. I don't understand what kind of miscommunication... His statement got truncated. I'd leave it alone. Okay. Anything else? No. I'll be in my office. This is what the West Wing does in that they plant something in an episode and it's not really even that relevant in the episode and it comes back like 15 episodes later and they play the preview uh, before the episode starts to remind you that that thing that you thought was nothing in the episode that's going to come back 15 episodes later. So the West Wing is basically saying at this point they're setting up this rivalry where like Hoynes is no, Hoynes is the vice president is not on board with what the president's doing. Um, they're setting up an adversarial relationship, all that sort of thing. Um, and it's one of those cases where something like you got to pay attention to like noticing really small things that um, end up having broader implications later. But again, I just have to say like, this is such an idyllic time because when you compare what's going on in the media and what they all have to deal with, and like what people in like the public eye and the public service have to deal with now compared to then like a weird quote from the vice president now isn't even going to make the news at all it's not even going to be a blip on anything and it's like 
man. But that's that's what we're seeing here. And that's something that, you know, the West Wing does all the time is they put these little things in that then become important like three seasons later. Excuse me. The vice president is here. Thanks. Aha. Hey, Leo. Good evening, Mr. Vice President. Thanks, Margaret. How is New York? Well, Standard & Poor's going to raise the city's credit rating. Good. Nice of you to call me over. We don't see enough of each other. No. Margaret's looking good. Did you blow off C.J. Craig this morning? Leo, I'm asking Is that what this is about? Did you? You know what? C.J. doesn't need to come running to you every time she hits a bump. C.J. didn't know. come running, John. She covered your ass. She's a good girl. All right. Well, that that moment is going to come back in future seasons. But again, I have to say, like, I really I didn't even think of this at the time when I was watching the West Wing. But like this adversarial relationship between the two, it, it never. Oh, gosh, I can't believe I'm even saying this. Maybe it's because maybe it's because I really kind of like fell in love with the West Wing, like during. I, I had watched it when it first came out, like uh, like in uh, George W. Bush's administration. But I think I really fell in love with it after Obama became president. And because it was like, again, this idyllic thing, because I didn't watch it. I didn't watch it when it just came out. I kind of I, I ended up like watching the reruns later. And so maybe it was that my perception during the Obama administration was that like Joe Biden and Barack Obama were like BFFs and they were always getting along and stuff like that. And I don't know how true that is. I haven't gone back after my red pill and kind of unpacked that whole scenario. But I it never actually occurred to me that there would be these adversarial relationships between the president's team and the president's staff and the vice president and the vice president's staff. And we do see that again. We do see that I won't rehash, but we do see that playing out with Biden and Kamala in that their staffs do not like each other. And I, I'm not even convinced that the two the two people even like each other all that much. In fact, Kamala had to make a statement just last week actually confirming that if Biden runs again and she claims that he is, that she will be on the ticket with him, which I think is just a little bit funny. So I do like how the West Wing is addressing that adversarial relationship kind of like this early on uh, in the series. When she tells you something, I want you to consider it a directive from this office. You want me to consider it a directive from this office? Yes. Well, let me consult Article 2 of the Constitution, because I'm not 100% sure where this office gets the authority to direct me to the men's room. We want to do this now. That's exactly what I picture happening between Biden and Kamala, to be honest. I absolutely picture like these adversarial kind of like, you don't get to tell me what to do, Constitution, blah, 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 blah. It's like, it's, 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 <laughs> it's like a power struggle. It's a power struggle. And that's what politics is at the end of the day is it's just all about power. And that's why I say I said at the beginning, like there are some people who do legitimately believe that they're doing good things in the world and they want to make things better all and all that. And that's true. But the vast majority of people, this is just a power game, nothing more. And so we're kind of seeing a contrast, though, between like the kind of cohesion with which the team in the West Wing works because they're all having each other's backs and they all kind of just do their own thing. And but but really, but they do actually have a relatively supportive relationship. Like even when Sam is like, I had sex with a prostitute, they're all like, OK, we need to handle this somehow. 
you know, they're, they're, they're trying to figure it out. Like they're, they're working it out. But in this, we're seeing that, um, that it is very much a power struggle between the vice president and his team and the president and his team. And that tells you who the real politician is. John Hoynes in this is the politician is the politician that's still kind of climbing and it and trying to attain that next level of like political supremacy. And we're going to, again, see this play out in future seasons and I won't spoil what happens. Leo, I have had it up to here with you and your pal. I got shoved into a broom. Excuse me. Me and my pal? Yes. You are referring to President Bartlett? Yes. Refer to him that way. Ooh. Good night. Don't do what you're doing, John. You're a world-class political operative, Leo. Why the hell shouldn't I keep on doing what I've been doing? Because I'll win, and you'll end up playing celebrity golf the rest of your life. How long do you expect me to stick around here and be his whipping boy? Give this president anything less than your full-throated support, and you're going to find out exactly how long. I love it. I love it. You know, and I, I have to think that that's kind of how Mike Pence must have felt as well. Like, Mike Pence, Mike Pence was such a good boy for Donald Trump. Mike Pence in like every single thing that the two of them did together. You always see Mike Pence kind of like looking very longingly and lovingly at Trump and always supportive and always saying the right thing. And then Trump totally threw him under the bus after January 6th, which I was not like upset about. I always hated Mike Pence. I think Mike Pence is like way, 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 way too conservative. I think that he's he has this like moral majority thing that I I always disliked. And so I was not actually unhappy to see the parting of the ways between Trump and Pence, but it must have been really painful for Pence because he was such a good boy and he followed the rules and he waited his turn and and he finally got to be vice president with maybe hopes of running for president someday. And Trump single-handedly dashed all of those hopes when Mike Pence didn't do what he wanted him to do. And now, of course, if Trump runs again, Pence is not going to be his VP at all. And that's got to be a kick in the nuts. It really does. And I feel like what we're seeing here with John Hoynes is like Hoynes just wants to be president. That's what he wants. He just wants to be. It was kind of like Joe Biden. Like, I actually felt so bad for Joe Biden because it was like Joe Biden, his entire life just wanted to be president. That was all that he wanted. He just wanted. He ran for president so many times. And then he finally got to be president. And he has dementia and probably won't even remember it. And everyone hates him. And his approval rating is in the toilet. And it's like, what a kick in the nuts that must be. But that's what happens when you just, when you strive for power and that position above like all else, that's what's going to happen. If it's just about power, just about getting to that next level, it's not going to be an enjoyable, fulfilling experience. And I think we're seeing, going to see that play out with John Hoynes where like he just wants to be president. That's all that he wants. And and the only reason he became Jed Bartlett's vice president was because Jed Bartlett won in the primary and John Hoynes lost. And he's so bitter about that and he's hanging on to resentment. And that is like really indicative of what you see play out in real life when these people who just, they're just, they're waiting their turn. And they're going to be good little boys and say all the right things and BS all the right things. And and you you have to be careful of people like this, though, because the people who just want to get to like that next political level, 
you never know if they actually mean the things that they say. We cannot make the assumption in the West Wing that John Hoynes means anything that comes out of his mouth because it's all in the service of getting him to that next position. Good night, Leah. Good night, John. Mr. President Morris Tolliver is dead. An Air Force transport carrying Morris, 12 other doctors, 42 support staff, and the crew of five to a teaching hospital in the Mon exploded in midair about 150 miles north of Tardis. What was first thought to be a mechanical failure was then claimed by a fundamentalist group after a keyhole satellite sent back a record of a heat stream coming from what's called an FIM-92, which is a shoulder-mounted surface-to-air missile launcher. In the last 90 minutes or so, that's been debunked as well. Hard intelligence is telling us the order came through the Syrian Defense Ministry. Baker and Lennox are on their way from the Pentagon, and Brody's in the Situation Room preparing for your briefing. You know, that's got to be, I mean, can you imagine being in a situation where you are in control of the most powerful military in the world and someone that you considered a friend that you really liked, like just died out of nowhere and you can use that military to enact retribution and you have to make a decision about how, how you're, how, like, what is the, the, what is the thought process that must be going through someone's head like that? And, and it kind of makes me feel like, you know, again, I don't think that Joe Biden is a well man. I don't think he has all of his cognitive abilities. And some would argue the same of Donald Trump, although I don't think Trump has dementia. I just think Trump's an idiot sometimes. It's like the character of Josiah Bartlett is easily more competent and capable than like at least the last two presidents. Some might even argue more than that, but we can at least go to the last two right now. And it's like, by what metric, by by like what happens when they find themselves in a position like this and when they're debating um, using the full might of our military? I mean, like I'm a libertarian. I don't think that we should be getting involved overseas at all. I think that it is nothing more than um, than feeding like the military industrial complex. It, it, it costs, uh, you know, taxpayers like like billions and tens of billions of dollars to Ukraine. And I say that being married to a Ukrainian and literally having a brother-in-law on the front lines of that particular war. And it's like, we just shouldn't be getting involved. But at the same time, when you're attacked, as was the case here, how do you respond to that um, in a way that's responsible when your emotions are also going to get caught up in it? And would would the person in office today even have the cognitive ability to be able to evaluate the situation? Um, that's kind of a terrifying thought. A li- I, I, you know, <sighs> maybe World War Three has already started. Like that's a reality that we all need to seriously consider. Maybe World War Three has already started, and we don't have like a competent, capable person in the White House that is there to navigate that situation. And that should, in a very realistic way, terrify everyone. Leo. I am not frightened. I'm going to blow them off the face of the earth with the fury of God's own thunder. Get the commanders.
I mean, didn't Leo look small in that moment when when Bartlow was like, I'm going to blow them off of the earth with the fury of God's own thunder? Let me just even rewind it just a minute here to uh, to see Leo like he looks. Hang on. It'll load. Oh, maybe not. Oh, we're going to find it. We're going to find it. We're going to find it. Hang on. We'll do this. I'm not frightened. I'm going to blow them off the face of the earth. Like he looks strong and powerful. The fury of God's own thunder. But also a little bit scared. But like Leo looks small. He looks small in that. And that's so interesting. It's like it's like he's almost scared of what um what the president is going to do in this circumstance. And maybe it's that he's fearful that he is making an emotional decision. I don't know. But it's I just think it's just like a beautifully played scene and, you know, almost like a very human scene where you have these are two of the most powerful people in the world, the president and his chief of staff, most powerful people in the world. And it's like both of them look almost terrified in this moment. And that's kind of what I want, to be honest. If we're talking about using our military against like a foreign adversary, I want them to look a little bit scared um, because that like if you're going into that situation with like full confidence that it is absolutely the right thing to do, then you might not be making the best decision. I want them to be a little bit scared. Well, that is the end of season one, episode two, post hoc ergo proctor hoc. This is not the most eventful episode of The West Wing. I think that this episode was mostly um, about character development, um, about just like setting the stage for future episodes. Um, I didn't really have any problem with it. I didn't have any problem with it. I think it displayed uh, realistic scenarios in terms of like Josh really celebrating when he got that big win. I think it ter in terms of like, I think the most interesting part of this ep episode actually in retrospect, and I've never actually thought this anytime I have watched this episode in the past. This is new. This is a red pill perspective. I think the most interesting thing about this episode was setting up the adversarial relationship between the vice president and the president which is extremely realistic and is playing out with Biden and Harris right now too. They have a very similar type of adversarial relationship. And I'm going to be really, I'm going to be paying attention to that. And this is something that, again, I have watched every episode of the West Wing multiple times, at least half a dozen times, every single episode, some episodes more. But I've never actually thought about this adversarial relationship before. And that's the thing that rings the most true to me now. And I think, you know, we've ended at a point where the president is having to take military action, which, you know, it calls into question, like the thought process around that military action and how those decisions get made and by what metrics they get made. And, you know, we're going to see in later seasons that the president kind of starts to position himself as the, the police of the world, which I don't think is a good idea. Um, but it made more sense then because it's like they're trying to pull on those emotional heartstrings. But we'll talk about that when we get there. I don't know if you guys can hear the banging in the background, but I th it sounds like the fireworks in my town are uh, are going. I don't know if the microphone's picking up on them or not. But again, I am recording this on uh, July 3rd. So, of course, there's going to be fireworks tonight. And um, hopefully we'll get it up uh, tomorrow or the next day. Um, so I hope everyone had a great 4th of July. 
I'm trying to front load a little bit of content for this podcast just to get some episodes up, but I do anticipate trying to get into like a weekly cadence at some point. Um, but for right now, please subscribe on whatever channel you're watching on or listening on. I'm working on getting the podcast up in uh, Apple and Spotify and Google and all the other podcast providers. So hopefully by the time people are listening to this, that will at least uh, that'll at least be starting. So you will be able to listen to an audio only version in addition to uh, finding the the video version on my YouTube channel, which is youtube.com slash Dr. Carlin Borisenko. Yes, I have the doctor as well. Um, but you don't need to call me that, I promise. And if you would like to watch the full unedited episode, the place you can do that is by becoming a supporter in my Locals community. That is kb.locals.com slash support. And you will find a playlist of all of the completely unedited episodes from start to finish. If you're uh, watching on YouTube or listening on a podcast provider, you are getting an edited episode where I'm, you know, cutting out some content, cutting out some, some, you know, pauses and things like that. But the full unedited episodes are available in my locals community for my local supporters as an exclusive. And so if you want to watch the whole thing with me, and I would love to hear your thoughts in the comments or things like that, um, kb.locals.com slash support. And you can sign up as a supporter for five bucks a month or 50 bucks a year or more if you want to, but you don't have to. All right. That's all we have for this time around. I will see you for episode three.